Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Those are verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 68, the first 36 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, July the 26th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing today. We've moved into the book of Judges, and we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 11 to 23. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 32 to 24, and completing the book of Romans today with chapter 16, verses 17 to 27. So, the the time of Joshua had ended, and now the time of the judges has begun. And, and it, it's, it's a transitional time for Israel because they're in the land. They haven't fully conquered the land, though. All the, the tribes that were there before have not been driven out. And now the, they need leadership because everything rises and falls based on leadership. And so they need le- new leaders for the next phase of the journey. Now, they have no idea that this will ultimately lead to a monarchy because God was intended to be their king. So what he would have given would be judges over them in the same way that he did in the wilderness with, when Moses um, laid hands on elders and raise them up to judge some cases in their tribes and then going beyond that all the way up to him as the the lead judge as it were and so here the angel of the lord went up from gilgal to bochum now bochum becomes the name of the place later and he said i brought you up from egypt the angel of the lord said i brought you up from egypt and brought you into the land that i swore to give to your fathers i said i will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say I will not drive them out before you because they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. Which is exactly what Moses had said. And then Joshua as well. He saw this coming. If you don't take care of everybody in the land, that it'll become they will become a snare to you. And we see that with Balaam, who ultimately sends says to the king of Moab, "Hey, you want to know how to break them down? Just send our women in there, and they'll convert them to our religion because they'll want to please them." And it's the same thing that happens in the time of Solomon, that that everything gets corrupted and they become thorns in the sides and the snare for them. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So Bochum means weepers. (laughs) So the people wept because the Lord had said he wouldn't go with them. So now we jump forward to verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So the Baals are a group of gods that, that are primarily fertility gods. And so what's odd is, is the Lord promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. If they'll just come in and enter the land, then he'll make the land productive for them, and he'll provide everything they need for it to produce. And instead, what they've done is they've gone and started worshiping the Baals. Now, why would you worship the gods of conquered peoples? It seems really strange, but but we're apt to do strange and silly things like this because we, we want what we want when we want it. And so... we. 
if the Lord doesn't seem to be doing that, then, then well, we'll worship this other thing. We'll try this other deal. And if, you know, hey, how much could it hurt if I'm going to worship two gods? You know, so let's hedge our bets and do this thing. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Because what did they want? Well, what, if you worship Baal, then what you want is fertility. You want the land to be fertile. You want the, the people want to be fertile. And, and the Lord had promised all of this. And yet now they're going after the Baals in search of this. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and who bowed down to them. And they bowed down to them, sorry. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the Ashtaroth are the Asherah. They would be the female consort for Baal. They would, so they would be the, the, the male and the female gods. It would be what that would be here. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So they had no leaders, and so people were following the devices and desires of their own hearts, and they were seeking after these other gods, and that made them vulnerable to their enemies because God no longer was their protector, nor did he go out with them when they went out to fight. So that they were on their own. The Lord left them on their own. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Now remember what we saw at the um, yesterday was is that they they stayed and they were obedient to the Lord at some level through the generation of leaders who knew Joshua. And then beyond that, what we're told is they soon turned aside. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord has moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. And that sounds very much like Exodus language when the Lord hears their groaning. He hears their cries and comes and moves and comes among them and delivers them. But... Whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the people weren't changed. They just sort of benefited from good leadership. And so as soon as that good leadership was gone, now they move in a different direction. They go back to their vomit. They go back to the evil ways of worshiping these other gods. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In other words, the word work was not complete in the conquest of the land in the time of Joshua, and so it's these nations that are still remaining in the land that the Lord was not helping them to conquer. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not, so does the Lord provide tests for us? Does he, does he give us tests in our discipleship? Yes, he does. He, he wants to know, have you progressed beyond this? Or is this still a stumbling block and a snare for you? And so he'll set these things up in our ways. We're going to see so, those similar kinds of things in the life of Jesus when we look at the gospel today. That what we see in the beginning of the gospels is Jesus being in the wilderness, tempted 
there by Satan. And, and those same temptations are going to present themselves again at the cross. <clears throat> so here, that's what he's saying. He says, I'm not going to drive these people out because I, they, they need to, to be tested, the people of Israel do, to see if they will trust me and to see if they will obey me. And if they'll obey me, then I'll drive them out. But if they won't, then I'm not going to be there for them. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. So there's going to be continuing difficulties in the life of these believers, these, these people that were chosen. There's going to be continuing difficulties for them to, in order to try and get them to be obedient. Because prosperity was the thing that Moses was concerned about more than anything else, and it's always a, a, a trap and a snare for us to see how we can handle prosperity. Do we handle it well? Do we use our resources in the service of the Lord, or do we then just seek more and more and more? In the gospel, you'll see this thing. They went out. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And as I mentioned yesterday in the, in the commentary on Romans, whenever Paul mentions greet, greeting Rufus, there's a belief, and it's, it's persisted down through the centuries, that that Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene, who would have been a Libyan. And so they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him, wine, him Jesus, wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, why would that be? Well, this gall, this spice, was, was, it, the, its purpose was to dull the senses. And Jesus needed to be in command of all his faculties. So they're offering him a way to sort of escapism, here, where, where your your senses are dulled, and therefore you're not feeling the pain so much, and you're not um, you're checked out. You're just waiting to die, and so they would give that to people because the pain could be so tremendous. Little did they know that the pain uh, that Jesus was going to suffer was more than just physical pain. But that's exactly what this would have done. It would have dulled the pain, but it would have also dulled the senses. And Jesus needed to be in full control of his faculties. At this time, he needed everything to be working and, and firing properly. He needed to be able to think well through this and to, to stand up to the temptations that were to come. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. When they crucified him means when they put him on the cross and stood the cross up. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided them, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, all the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness through, from Satan are prefaced by those words, If you are the Son of God. So here, it's if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Prove yourself to us. Do something useful. He's already given them enough witness to this. And now they're, they're asking him and questioning his identity. If you do this thing, then we'll believe in you. Well, he had shown them enough signs, and they still didn't believe. So here they're, they're, say, they're going back to the original charge, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. So if you have that kind of power, then, then come down from the cross. So the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Could he? 
The answer is yes. He very well could have. He could have come down from that cross. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Well, he's the king of Israel. That's what the inscription said over him. And so if if he comes down from the cross, we'll believe in him. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And it wouldn't do you any good to believe in him if he came down from the cross. Because the work would not have been finished. And it would remain for another to come and finish the work that Jesus had begun. So the temptation is to prove something. The temptation is to prove something to these people. He has nothing to prove to those people. He's proved himself time and again, and they've denied it, and they have rejected the witness of his testimony. So why in the world now are they setting this barrier? And it's not because they want to believe. It's just because they wanted to mock him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. And again, we get, we get this presumption, this thing that says, yeah, if, 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 if you're the son of God, if God desires you, he'll save you. No. He loved you, the one who mocked, the one who derided. He loved you enough that Jesus would remain on this cross all the way to the end in order that resurrection could be possible. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I'm the son of God. So it's exactly what they're saying. If you're really the son of God, then God will do something. And that goes back to throw yourself off the temple mount, and he'll send his angels to protect you if you're the son of God. And so it's the same language. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And so what they're, what they're doing is that they're presenting Jesus the same temptations. He's not going to receive the food that they offer him because it doesn't come from the Father and it will dull his senses rather than heighten his senses. And then they're, they're offering him belief if he's willing to save himself if he's willing to prove himself one more time and if god really loves you then he'll protect you and bring you down from from that cross he will he will save you and what they're offering is essentially an opportunity to worship them to do their bidding rather than the bidding of the father and so they're presenting the opportunity for the for him to worship them by seeking the applause of men rather than the applause of god jesus says i want it all want the applause of men and God. And the only way that I can get that is by persevering in this work here on the cross. Now that Paul's greeted everybody and told them to greet everybody, he's going to also now kind of wrap his letter up here. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. These are those who would, who would insist on circumcision for believers. So they're adding to the, the gospel itself, and in adding to their taking away. They're saying the work of Jesus on the cross isn't enough. You've also got to accept circumcision, and therefore you've got to accept the law. And Paul's already dealt with that problem. And these are the ones who will cause division among them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. And there's always, always that going on in the church not about circumcision not about the law but there are those who who will speak in order that they might gain an audience and keep that audience and we have to be wary of those and it's easy to deceive the hearts of the naive we want to make it simple for people but but the problem is we make it too simple we make it such that there's no 
purpose for discipleship, that justification is all that matters. There's no sanctification required. And so Paul's speaking against this, this thing that says, okay, you're going to add something to the cross, but, but then there are those who would say, well, the cross is enough, but it's, it, it's enough on its own. You don't even have to appropriate the work of the cross through faith. Everybody gets in. It's all those kinds of things. And it's, it's, it, it, but why? Well, because if you make it cheap and easy, well, then you make it popular. So you get what you want, which is acclaim and attention. For your obedience is known to all, he says, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as, as to what is, what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. Wise as to what's good and innocent as to what's evil. That is exactly going back to the garden, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, right? I mean, that, that passage right there, that statement, I want you to be wise as to what's good and innocent as to what is evil. Then what he's saying is, is that, that had they not taken from the tree of life, or tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would have only known the good, and so what he wants is for us to be innocent as to those things that are evil. And, and so what we, what we then focus on, as Paul says again and again in his letters, is the good. You focus on those things. Keep your mind fixed on those good things. And then be innocent of evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so he's sort of wrapped up there. And then he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Tertius is his amanuensis, his scribe, the one who is, he has dictated this letter to. And here Tertius inserts himself in this. And so he must be known at some level to the people in Rome. Tertius must. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's, it's sort of, it gets to the end of chapter 11, and he, he goes all through the theology, and he breaks into doxology. So theology, knowledge of God, doxology, the praise of God, he, that's how he's going to end, is, is praise of God to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the mystery, the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but it's now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. And, and that's the way Paul signs off, is to him be glory and honor. It, it's a beautiful ending to this incredibly dense uh, theological treatise that he has written to the church at Rome, and it couldn't end any other way other than the praise of him that he would be glorified through Jesus Christ and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And, and what a turn of events it is from the cross to hearing Paul say this to the people in the church at Rome, the Romans who oversaw that crucifixion. It's an amazing thing for Paul to, to say this now. 
that that in all things Jesus Christ is preeminent and has the preeminence and he calls us to obedience in the spirit of God.